0: Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast.
1: This content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on here constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, recommendation, excuse me, endorsement, or offer by Draper Gornholm or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments whatsoever. And as always, you can catch this recording at our lovely media partner, blockchain radio and on our YouTube channel, Draper Gorin Holm. And, uh, today's topic is all about DeFi decentralized finance. And, uh, we have some pretty kick ass people with us on stage right now. Uh, a lot of them, or I think most of them are all of you guys, we can kind of think for all this adoption, all this activity, all this excitement in DeFi. So, I don't want to go and introduce you guys. I think you guys can do a better job. So I want to start with Anton. Tell us who you are. Uh, tell us your company, your project. And we'll go from Fernando Meta and Juan we'll with Kane.
2: Uh, hey, everyone. My name is Anton Bukov. Uh, I'm co founder and CTO of One Inch Exchange. I'm pretty sure most of you
0: heard of it. Thank you.
3: Cool.
1: <laughs> Fernando
0: hey guys i'm fernando co-founder of balancer um yeah really excited about t been around crypto for a while uh been a fan of ethereum since the inception contributed with MakerDAO a lot and yeah very very happy to be here and exchanging with these great people uh i talk usually uh throughout the channel so it's nice to be talking uh, in front of a lot of people uh,
1: as well. Cool, cool. Thank you, Meta?
4: Yeah, Meta Parlakar, CTO and one of the co-founders of Casper Labs, uh, the company building the Casper protocol. And real excited to be here, been on a few times. Adam's a great friend of ours, as is Draper. And um, yeah, just really excited to be building a new layer one protocol to help solve some scalability problems without sacrificing security. So that's what Casper's all about.
3: Cool, and Kane um hey everyone uh kane the founder of synthetics um we are a synthetic asset issuance protocol on ethereum um and uh yeah uh, excited to to get into some interesting discussions about uh 5 and um, yeah let's do it cool
1: let's do it all right so kane first, first off okay you're the last one speaking there's a bunch of different levels of expertise joining us today, and that will be listening to this later on. Quickly define what is DeFi? What is the decentralized finance? Uh, we can kind of take it from there.
3: Sure. So so I think, you know, DeFi was coined uh, back in like late 2018. Um, and at the time, it was, you know, like SEP protocol, Dharma, a couple of people getting together, trying to work out, like, what is this specific category of thing that we're building on Ethereum. Um, and I think, you know, we still don't have a, a you know, a, a perfect definition of what DeFi is, but I think ultimately what it's, what it's aiming for is uh, to provide open access, um, to provide uh, non-custodial access. So to, you know, to allow people to custody their own funds um, for good and ill um, and to allow uh, for, you know, interoperability right? And I think the, the poster child for that is probably uh, one inch, right? Um, you know, so one inch goes in and, and pulls all these different protocols, synthetics, Balancer, you know, uh, Uniswap, everyone, right? Um, and puts it all together and allows someone to turn up and basically access this pooled liquidity across the entire DeFi ecosystem in a single interface. And that is like, I guess, to us now kind of an obvious thing, and it's really cool, but it's unprecedented in finance like you can't just turn up and go and like aggregate you know something from wells fargo and something from citibank and you know like it just it's not possible right um and so i think that the core thing is this open access uh that anyone you know uh, can turn up at a hackathon and over the course of a weekend you know stitch together all these different protocols and, and have an amazing uh new interface that, that people can access
1: i love it so just just to give an overlook. So one year ago today, we were at about $830 million uh locked in all these DeFi projects. Today it's it's a it's I think it just crossed $25 billion, right? So from $830 million to $25 billion. That's like that's explosive on a whole nother level. I want to pick each of your brands really quick and kind of hear from each of you. What has led to that growth? And we can start from Anton and work our way down. Uh, but take, take it from here. What has led to that growth? What, what has led from $830 million to $25 billion locked in DeFi projects? And it could be, it, it was like, it's a various, like we can, we can unfold this. We can dive into the details, but we can do it from a surface level perspective right now
2: yeah okay uh, first of all uh, th- this huge number is not like exact number of funds locked in because uh, part of these funds are like over so uh, I- I'm not sure exact numbers it's like it's possible that it could be like 20 billions of-, of funds but five of them is like borrowed and recollateralized I'm not sure about like exact coefficient, but it's like lower than 25, maybe 15 or 20, not sure about exact numbers, but like what uh, what bring us to such numbers is like DeFi projects explosion and farming explosion, which happened in previous year, like started in previous year, but actually like, it was started by Synthetix protocol in the middle of the 2019. I checked some numbers <laughs> this time, and it was like in July of 2019, when Synthetix project, they proposed to make rewards for liquidity providers. And this incentivized people to put more money into on-chain protocols. And then we saw that the strategy was utilized by a lot of different projects uh, even lending protocols started utilizing this uh, idea of rewarding users for using their protocols uh, not only for uh, sss collaterals but also for uh getting some debts for borrowing something and uh people started mm-hmm. to put collateral borrow something swap it to something else put as collateral again and have like a long or short position, like leveraged position, which uh, like turn it there. Like for example, someone put it 1,000 bucks, but actually he made like 3K TVL like total value locked. And this like all uh, helped to expand the total value locked of all the DeFi from my point of view.
1: Fernando, do you have anything to add to that?
0: Yeah, I think that one very nice thing about liquidity mining and synthetics is the pioneer here, and we all learned from uh, them and, and used the concept. I think the coolest thing, at least from my perspective and Balancer's perspective, is the fact that you're distributing ownership of your protocol to, uh, to the users of your protocol it's like imagine if uh, uber could give a tiny slice of the of uber stock for everyone who either rode or um or drove uh uber in in the last years like it would be it would create a lot more uh yeah a lot more loyalty a lot more people would choose uber over uh lyft or any other competitors because by using it you're becoming uh owner of, of it as well and this is so much important so much more important for protocols like ours and DeFi than it would be for a normal company because it's all about governance right the the real winners in my opinion will be those who have the who make the right decisions and to make the right decisions you have to have a good process in place to get people who have stake in the game skin in the game to uh to to be involved in those decisions right if you're centralized like you see this in history like um yeah di- dictatorships they are move very fast and they grow faster but at some point like you need to be uh yeah you need you, the, the democracies are slower but they uh tend to to last longer so i think that like the DeFi protocols will need a lot of uh, different users and different viewpoints to make um, the sustainability possible so i think Liquidity mine is all about giving ownership to lots of people and making sure your project is really decentralized. Um, to the to the astounding increase in, in value that you just mentioned, Adam, I think the the fact that ETH has gone up so much in that uh, in that period is is very important for that to be possible because. Ethereum, like the Bankless guys uh, Ryan and, and David, they say it's like the economic bandwidth of uh, DeFi today, right? And uh, we're seeing cool stuff like Bitcoin being wrapped onto Ethereum, which has also brought a lot of uh, a lot of value to to DeFi and to Ethereum. And I'm sure we're going to see that happening more and more with other assets, uh, not only Ethereum but uh, like oil that you can buy today on on synthetics. So I yeah I'm. I think the the, the future is bright, and not saying that other layer uh to uh, kind of uh, to build a segue to you, Meta. Not saying that they cannot be successful, uh, but today I think that uh, the yeah the the defies today on Ethereum. So. Uh, it, it, it would be great to see other niches going to other layer ones as well. Yeah,
4: yeah absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> Ethereum has a ton of liquidity on it. There's absolutely no question that they've got a great tarantula around themselves in terms of liquidity. Um, one of the things we are seeing, though, is with the gas fees and the saturation on the protocol is making it harder for new entrants into DeFi, arguably, if the transaction mm-hmm. fees, right? You can't do micro tra- small transactions, even in DeFi, because your transaction fees really, you know, can become pretty prohibitive, right? Depending on how quickly you want your transaction to go through, but absolutely, like I, I mean, if you if you ask me why I see there's so much adoption in DeFi, I just one word just immediately comes to my mind, and it's greed, right? That's what's fueled uh, mass adoption of any kind of you know brand new type of uh, mechanism for uh, making money, right? So, I, do I think we're in a bubble? I certainly hope we're not in a bubble, right? I certainly hope that. DeFi is not experiencing a bubble right now, Um, maybe to a certain extent, uh, there might be some particular protocols that may having a bubble, but I'm hoping that there will be, you know, more innovation so that we're not just seeing it bubble in a deep niche, but rather we start seeing new innovative protocols come out versus just kind of like, you know, the copy paste model, right? So I think you've seen a lot more DeFi protocols come out that have just gone for a quick, you know, Money grab, right? Instead of innovating, they're copying other protocols out there. Um, so that's my take. I, I would love to see more innovation in the space. I think DeFi is just a wonderful, egalitarian offering um, to provide better and open access. It really brings to heart what blockchain can do. And completely agree on the governance piece. You know, I think governance is hugely important. And governance that's transparent and decentralized is really hard to accomplish. It's not. An easy thing, right? And I think the blockchain can play a big role in in supporting, you know, even the governance of these protocols.
1: I saw you kind of nod your head when she said DeFi bubble, and like you looked up for a second. What what what, what came to mind right there?
3: I mean, I think you know, the, there's no question that there's a lot of speculation going on, right? Um, but I, I think the the point that Fernando made about uh, Uber versus Lyft is it kind of interesting, right? Because when you think about market dynamics, so, you know, I'm a big uh, uh, believer in markets, right? I think markets ultimately uh, are, you know, one of the best ways of us discovering uh, what has value, you know, even if they might be somewhat inefficient initially over longer timescales, they're, they're fairly efficient. And I think giving away equity in Uber and Lyft creates this additional market dynamic whereby it's not just the the usability or the value prop for users and what they're paying for it's actually like the long-term alignment right and and so you know you end up with this situation where if if uber and lyft were tokenized now you've got people that are holding uber tokens versus holding lyft tokens and they either believe in one or the other and they sell them versus like you know a very inefficient uh, VC-driven market where it's a couple of large players who are making extremely large bets on you know subsidizing these new uh, you know entities like like Uber for you know five or ten years while they're not profitable um, and I just think that that's a much more efficient market dynamic and and I think it's why we see. You know this extreme competition and and you know uh, and uh, maybe much faster iteration uh, than in traditional startup economies. You know where uh, where you have much longer timescales to to get to some kind of liquidity event or an IPO or something like that.
1: So, is there anything beyond that 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 you kind of that you kind of saw drive a lot of this adoption in the total value locked in DeFi? I,
3: I think, you know, it's it's ultimately incentives, right? Um, you know, we actually have a thing that does something for the first fucking time in like five years, right? Like, you know, we had all these tokens that were like supposed to be like payment mechanisms for random shit. And they didn't do anything for a, a very long time. And all of a sudden you can actually go into DeFi and you can do things. And yeah, a lot of that stuff is speculative. It's yield farming. It's, you know, weird games and, and you know, Ponzonomics and stuff, but also like you're providing liquidity, like, you know, I'm, I'm a liquidity provider in both one inch and balancer. Right. And I'm a passive market maker. I get fees from the protocol. I get, you know, ownership of the protocol. I can actually do something. And so I think that's sucking in things like Bitcoin, you know, ETH holders that have just been sitting on ETH for years, doing nothing with it are now, bringing it into DeFi and, and providing liquidity. That's a very different dynamic to what we had in 2017, where it was just pure speculation. There was there was no actual utility, no usability going on.
1: And Fernando, I kind of saw you nodding your head a lot. Do you, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah,
3: I I, I agree uh, a lot
0: with with Kane there. Like pretty much everything he said makes a, a ton of sense. And I I mean like there's a, so many people now working on DeFi and Ethereum specifically, building like things that like we haven't heard like 5% of them. There's like um, all sorts of uh, new AMM styles and there's like uh, different synthetic options, uh, calls and puts, and and there's so much being built on on, uh, Ethereum DeFi. That's of course based or or inspired by conventional uh, traditional finance, but it's built in a way that's accessible by anyone anywhere in the world. It's permissionless. It's it's open. It's disintermediated, so you don't need to pay like high fees to uh, privileged people that just happen to be owning the the exchanges that rule the world. And it, it's it's just only just beginning. I, I agree with Kane that we we've seen a lot of bullshit for for a long time, but now like more and more of the infrastructure is being built, and you have like all all the small building blocks that you need to build something great like he said uh in uh, during weekend weekend you can build something great because you have all those tooling uh all, all the tooling that you need to to build things so yeah i think i think we're just starting to see like the the tip of the iceberg and there's like uh so many things that inside defi and outside of defi there are being worked on you, you look at the number of developers that are working on defi ethereum today like it's crazy how much more it is than anything else. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very bullish. I'm very bullish there.
1: Yeah, and, and obviously we can all agree Bitcoin is performing tremendously well, right? Without a doubt, a large portion of that being the institutions, right? Everyone's yelling, the institutions are here, they're coming, they're here, whatever it may be. So they're in Bitcoin now and we're, we're all reading headlines that they only care about Bitcoin, which I think is complete bullshit, right? Obviously they're seeing all these amazing returns and all these different use cases being built strictly through software. Do you guys imagine big institutions jumping on the DeFi train now? Like Anton, can you imagine like Robinhood releasing their own, uh, own Dex, for example? Maybe that's like too far down the line, but I'm throwing ideas out here. Uh,
2: I believe I mean, it's possible, uh but not on layer one right now because uh, the transaction fees would like uh, kill whole the idea of Robin hood because it was all about investing small amounts of money uh like every day like every month every week but if you will spend tens of bucks on commissions of uh Ethereum network it, it would not work uh, this way for sure
1: okay well, anyone else in terms of like institutions jumping on the DeFi wagon, right? And, and while headlines saying, yep. go ahead. They're
4: yeah. very heavily regulated, right? So this is the problem, right? Banks yeah. have—they're very heavily regulated. They have their bread and butter business right now. No question that they are absolutely prototyping blockchain technology, but they're looking at—they're uh, looking at their bread and butter business very, very carefully, and, and you know, all. <laughs> just like all large enterprises, they don't need to be on the bleeding edge, right, for adoption. Um, they're going to take a look at what blockchain technology can do, public blockchain technology can do, and they're gonna slowly adopt as their market, as their customer bases start demanding, you know, greater options in terms of you know, DeFi instruments. I, I don't think they're nervous yet. Uh, actually, I think that they're probably like three to five years out before even seriously bringing any kind of consumer mar- you know, products to market. They big enterprises or entrenched market players have never needed to lead in terms of adoption, right? They have enough of a customer base that they can they can wait and see how things play out.
3: And I kind
1: of see nodding your head again, looking up to the left. Do you have anything to add to yeah. that?
3: <laughs> yeah, look, I, you know, I I totally agree, right? Like uh, DeFi, the the more complex the thing, the more that it does, the harder it is for you know a, a legacy regulated entity to to engage with right so bitcoin is nice right you just hold it it's you know the digital gold narrative a, a hedge against inflation it's pretty simple it's a simple prospect you know you just go to an otc desk and you say hey i've got a billion dollars in this shitty fiat money i'd like to convert it into bitcoin please and that's it right um you know DeFi is and, and ethereum is a different beast uh and mm-hmm. it's going to take a bit more time for people to get their heads around it i think
1: what do you guys think is missing what what's not there for more of these larger players to jump on? Is it is it more validation? Is it like what's missing?
3: It's not what's missing. It's it's what's there. There's there's so much complexity that it's going to take a while for that complexity to kind of be wrapped into something that's comprehensible to you know a large regulated institution. I think so. I think there's just so much going on that it's hard to even know where to start to engage.
4: I mean, from my perspective, I think it's control. I actually think that these large institutions, their regulation, by nature of the regulation, there are certain actions they need to be able to take on behalf of their customers, right? And they don't have that control. That's why it's decentralized finance, right? So there isn't a central point of control and it's completely flies in the face of the way they do business and, I, I literally think it's like it's apples and oranges. They need something completely different than what Ethereum brings because by the nature of putting a protocol on Ethereum, by definition, it's decentralized, right? You you forego any kind of central control and they just are not, they, they can't operate that way. It's not the way they're regulated.
1: Yeah, and and I think, go ahead. You want to add to that, Fernando?
0: No, I was just going to say that uh, I see um, institutions coming to Ethereum first and then DeFi. Ethereum is a no-brainer because it's uh, it's like Kane said, just buy it and hold it. And people are just a bit more scared about Ethereum because it has less of a lindy effect. It came after Bitcoin. There's no uh, fixed maximum supply like Bitcoin. But if you really stop to think about it, it's it's just a meme, right? Everyone knows that at some point, Bitcoin will either fail or have to uh, do something about the, the supply there because the security just goes away as you go to zero uh, fees. And if you use it as a store of value, there's not enough fees being generated by transactions So it just makes no sense. So it's kind of clear that you need some continuous inflation to make sure that you have enough security. And uh, like this is debatable, but I, I'm, to me, it's obvious also that proof of stake is a lot more superior than proof of work. And at some point, uh, Bitcoiners or people who hold Bitcoin will be paying for the trillions of dollars that's spent in electricity, I don't know, every year, like countries uh, worth of electricity, while uh, Ethereans are not paying any of that. It's just like staking uh, their ETH. So I think at some point, and I, I'm a firm believer in the flipping uh in the next three to five years it's uh to me gonna happen and it's it's gonna seem so obvious right people say oh it's it was obvious more developers uh a better uh a better monetary uh schedule or inflation now the the 1559 coming that will burn the fees instead of uh sending it to to miners so ethereum will be like a much larger um, we'll have a lot more capital bandwidth and that will kind of uh, bring more value to DeFi as a consequence. It would just be a, a natural step, even if it's complex. And there's like companies and protocols doing insurance, companies doing like, uh, like Argent doing, doing like social wallet recovery. There's so much being built in, in terms of tooling that it will feel more and more and when we go to layer two and get scalability, it will feel like it's uh, it's like web 2.0. So um, it, it, it's maybe a couple of years uh, away, but it will happen in my opinion.
1: So, so on that, because you started name dropping different services and products, right? What, what are like the most exciting products or that you see being built right now that are gonna extend and, and, and you think are gonna gain traction in 2021? And second question, follow up, what are some of those untapped opportunities that you guys are seeing are like clear indicators that people need to jump on and build more in this this specific area of defi. So it's like a two two part question, and we can start with you, Fernando, and we can kind of distribute it. I think insurance I just mentioned is
0: is a good one. Um, identity, uh, all the all the complex financial instruments like uh, options and and yeah, all, 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 all that stuff. Yeah, Kane. Okay, maybe you can you can take the, the hook and. and
3: uh, well, I've been waiting to drop this one for a while. Uh, the the virtual synth bridges that Anton should be working on right now, except he's too busy on panels. Uh, so uh, <laughs> we we've got um, we've got a I think a big area that uh, that I've been talking about for a while that kind of we haven't been able to take over is uh, OTC, right? Like large block trades. Um, and now, with you know uh, so much wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum, uh, block trades between like ETH and BTC, uh, and and stablecoins and ETH stablecoins BTC are are still not quite possible. So uh, we're, we've been working on a solution for this, but uh, it requires I think a little bit of integration from something like One Inch to kind of uh, aggregate that will allow very large block trades like 10 million 15 20 million dollar trades on chain um and so i think that that's something that is going to really you know disrupt the otc uh desk market over the next kind of 12 months um but the other thing uh which is maybe a, a almost a counterpoint to fernando is uh layer two right so we're seeing the emergence of of uh layer two um, solutions like, you know, Optimistic Ethereum, um, you know, ZK Sync. uh, And I think that that could have like a, a, you know, potentially negative effect on demand for uh, L1 block space, uh, maybe in the short term. Um, So, you know, as much as like fee burning in 1559 is gonna have a a potentially positive price effect, I think that we could go back to a, a scenario where there isn't that much L1 activity until we get, you know, these aggregated Layer twos that are, are you know pushing transactions back to L one uh, starting to soak up bandwidth, but that could you know could be a while. So I, I think that could be a maybe a, a, a some headwinds against this uh, ETH Maxi. I'm gonna Sasanos gonna take my ETH Maxi. He's gonna confiscate my ETH Maxi badge. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I do worry about that a little bit. Uh, that layer two could have a, a negative effect on on some of the ETH price action
1: and Anton, what do you guys envision as being like some of these new opportunities that are emerging for for the coming year?
4: I see identity as a huge opportunity right now. I I don't see an identity player really emerging in terms of self-sovereign identity. I feel like self-sovereign identity is really important. Um, You know, users being able to own their own data. Uh, You know, if you look at what the internet, where the internet started, the funk movement, Um, You know, it was supposed to liberate all of us and be this big egalitarian thing where we could share information. And in the end, you know, it wound up really being a massive mining operation for user data. And so for me, I feel like there's a huge opportunity, you know, for self-sovereign identity. And I feel like it's a really important thing from the perspective of, you know, uh, bridging the regulatory gap, right? Like there's this regulatory piece that needs to be solved for. But the way to do it is self-sovereign identity versus even like even an identity service using a blockchain is still, they can still be compelled to, you know, that data can still be mined right off of the public blockchain. So there are some self-sovereign identity solutions out there that are really interesting where, you know, I can choose whether or not to reveal my identity to any provider in the space. And something like that, I think, is massively important. And getting it right is really, really important for all of us, right? To protect, to protect our information for the long run. Yeah.
1: Anton, anything to add to that?
2: Uh, it's hard to add uh, something uh, after everyone said, like, uh, <laughs> uh, all these things about, like, OTC, virtual scenes, uh, layer 2 solutions which are coming to uh, bring, like, a real mass adoption because uh, uh, currently, like, uh, three millions of people are interacting, three millions of wallets are interacting with Ethereum. Uh, every month and uh, it it couldn't be changed without any like movement to layer 2 or upgrading of layer 1 because uh, it's like the amount of wallets interacting with Ethereum daily, weekly and monthly is not growing for almost like half a year and only those wallets are using it who can pay more than others and uh, that's really sad because uh, gas prices works like a thresholds for those who can afford to spend su- such amounts on uh, gas, and those who can't afford this. And uh, I li- uh several layer two solutions, like uh, kind said already about them, like op- optimism and zk sync. Uh, they are like quite different and uh, can offer. Quite different things, but they both are gonna solve scalability issues of Ethereum, Uh, and uh, yeah. So I I think, um, and uh, yeah, I I also wanna add about, like Matt has said about bubble, (laughs) I have also opinion about this, that uh, there is like a very high chance, I'm like almost sure it's some, uh, like significant part of DeFi is going to be a bubble <laughs> and we don't know when it will reach its limits, but you know, there is nothing wrong with this. We, we see like uh, market is uh, moving on some some kind of spiral and it repeats itself like in a four-year cycle potentially. And uh, you know, all this uh, bubble popping is, uh, is not a bad process. Actually, it helps. Uh, projects to uh, become like stronger, those projects who are like can leave can like be real projects. And uh, uh, bubble popping will kill some projects which are like less effective, ineffective, or they're actually not working on the market. So it's like, I believe it's like natural process of the market, like uh, bubbling, bubble popping like, like this.
0: This has been a production of Industry Pods in association with Evergreen Podcasts Network. Hear this and other Industry Pods at evergreenpodcasts.com, your favorite podcast app, or listen at industrypods.com for your number one virtual conference podcast experience.